And the reading comes from the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, and we'll start with verse 18. Children, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, it is true and is no lie, just that it has taught you in him. And so far our reading. Let's pray. Father God, um, we come to you this morning um, expectant, wanting to hear from you, wanting to hear from what you have spoken. Uh, Lord God, uh, Lord God, we thank you that these words have been recorded for us uh, and that we can hear them, we can read them, uh, and Lord, we pray that your spirit would be speaking to us through them, Father God, as we uh, listen and uh, obey your word. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It was 1940, and a young journalist uh, known as Harold Philby was um, recruited by the British intelligence agency MI6. Uh, he worked his way up the ranks over the years uh, and became the counter-espionage officer. Uh, he was in charge of making sure that um, no foreign spies would infiltrate the UK and that he was also responsible for the lies of um, the spies of MI6 uh, abroad. He was also responsible for the intelligence plans related uh, to foreign affairs and, his, um, and the organisation. Yet Philby had a dark secret. You see, in 1933, Philby had become a committed communist in university and he had been recruited as a Soviet agent. This man was a double agent. He was a betrayer. While he was in this role, he revealed many plans to the Soviets uh, of anti-communist attacks, 
He also uh, defended other double agents that he knew of in MI6, um, including the guy who actually recruited him, so that they could defect and flee to safety. When he was suspected uh, of his role, um, he was dismissed from MI6. He moved to Beirut, uh, continued his work as a journalist, but um, that was simply a cover to continually work for the Soviets uh, and the British. Uh, eventually, when he was discovered in Beirut, uh, he fled the country, uh, disappeared for a while, and appeared again in Russia, uh, having defected. He left his family, he left his life, he left everything um, for the cause of Russia. He revealed his true colours, who he truly belonged to. He had been corrupted and he had never been on the British side. In our passage uh, this morning, John addresses a very similar situation. The church John is writing to has gone through a crisis. Many people have left. Um, they have defected from true faith. They have walked away from the truth of the gospel. They have denied the witness of the apostles to the identity of Jesus. And now this community that he's writing to is left in crisis. What are we to do about this? How are we meant to look at these people? And not only uh, have these people left, they haven't just defected from the community, uh, they're now trying to convince the community that the defectors have the truth. They have the truth about Jesus, who Jesus is, and they have the truth about how to know God personally. They have a better knowledge. They have a true relationship with the Father. Yet John writes to the community and encourages them to go back to the roots of their faith. See, the message this morning is very simple. If you don't want to become a defector, if you want to remain in the truth, if you want to inherit eternal life, then you must remain in, you must abide in, you must live in the reality of the gospel and the identity of Jesus as given, in, given to us in the apostolic witness in the New Testament and received and taught by the Holy Spirit. This is the only way. This is the only way we do not defect. So let's see how it works. In verses 18 to 19, our passage begins with a wake-up call. It's a worldview-changing, perspective-altering, life-shaping pronouncement. It's, he says, it is the last hour. John writes with concern, calling them children, and yet he causes them to awaken to the reality that we live in the last hour of history. Understanding this phrase is vital for us to understand the passage, the letter, and also our own lives. You see, this declaration of the last hour is what motivates, it's what guides, it's what prods us to live lives in total surrender to King Jesus. So what is the last hour? In the Bible, history is divided into two ages, into two halves. You have the old age and you have the new age. In the old age, sin, death, suffering, evil, and Satan are the, the um, explainers of our existence. They dictate what life is like. Yet, in the new age that God is bringing about, salvation, life, 
goodness and God dictate life. Now, John and the rest of the New Testament teaches that because of Jesus, history has experienced an overlapping of these ages. So we begin to experience some of the benefits of living in the new age while the old age goes on. We experience things like eternal life, relationship with the Father, the Spirit's anointing. And John brings us to attention. He says the final hour of the old age is upon us right now. And as such, our lives are to be lived in such a way that demonstrate this. Our lives are to demonstrate the urgency of the hour. But how does John know that it's the last hour? What, what in his circumstances does he see point to this last hour? He continues, You have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now, many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. I don't know about you, but when I read and when I hear the word Antichrist, immediately I get thoughts of the end of the world. Uh, Things like 666, Supreme World Leaders, uh, One World Governments, uh, you know, the kind of stuff you find on the internet uh, late at night, clicking through conspiracy theories and uh, on the book of Revelation and the apocalypse and what people think. Um, Maybe I'm the only one who finds themselves on those weird websites. Um, They're kind of the ones with the colors that clash and they're kind of straight out of 1997. Um, When I first read this, that's what I had in my mind, right? Uh, That's that's kind of the the picture and the background I've got. But what's interesting is that John doesn't just say there's one Antichrist, right? He says, you've heard that there's Antichrist coming, uh, but he says, now there's many. There are many Antichrists. In verse 19, he'll go on to explain that these people are part of the church community. So they haven't come from out there. They've come from in here. What are these Antichrists then? Um, John's letter is actually the only place in the whole Bible, uh, 1 John and 2 John, that actually mention the word Antichrist. It's the only place where it's used. It's his word. It's his thought. So who is he thinking of? This concept is found throughout the New Testament, uh, but for John, uh, the Antichrist is someone who is um, a figure who is in opposition to Christ or replaces Christ. He is the ultimate enemy of God and sets himself up as the opposite of Christ, seeking to rebel, to deceive, and to be worshipped by people. So John reminds them that they know it's the last hour because this Antichrist is coming. But then he adds, adds, and now many Antichrists have come. Many? We thought there was only one. We were on the lookout for, for, for one guy, right? Maybe, maybe it's Caesar. Maybe it's Trump. Maybe the Pope, maybe, maybe even Hitler, right? But for there to be more than one, that's, that's actually terrifying. That's a scary thought. In chapter 4, John goes on uh, to talk about the spirit of the Antichrist being uh, the one who guides false prophets. His intent is on deceiving God's people. And this helps us to see that the Antichrist is not simply a person, 
uh, though I think John has in mind a, an actual figure, but it's also an influence. And just like uh, Philby, who was guided by communism and the Soviet agenda, these antichrists are guided by what is opposed to Christ. They are dictated by something other than the gospel. And John tells them that the threat has come from among them. And in the same way, we need to be careful. Uh, and I'm not saying these people thought, like Philby, uh, they were on the other team. Uh, it's actually more sinister than that. They would have started out with the truth, but then continued to hold to a life and belief system of the world. They didn't leave behind the, their lifestyles and the beliefs that they inherited from the world. And as such, they became these antichrists. And we need to be careful in our lives that we don't become antichrists. And now these people have left. The church is left in a crisis. How are they to view these people? Were they ever Christians? Did they ever truly believe? Has it all been a lie? John's response in verse 19, he says, they went out from us, but they were, ne- they were not of us. They did not belong to us. Does that mean they were insincere in their, in their profession? I don't think so. Take, for example, the many church leaders we've seen renounce the faith this year. Uh, Josh Harris and Marty Sampson are the major ones that I know of. Um, And I truly believe that they were sincere in what they said and did and what they believed at a time. Yet in some way, they did not belong. In the end, it was shown by what they did that they didn't belong. These defectors left the church. And in John's day, these defectors left his church. It reminds me of Mark chapter 6 where Jesus tells the parable of the sower. And one of the soils, I don't know if you remember, is uh, the seeds that fell upon the rocky soil. And these seeds took root for a time. But eventually, the cares of the world, just life got in the way and destroyed that faith. And I think these people are like that. You know, maybe, maybe six months, maybe a year, maybe 20 years down the track, life just gets at these people and they defect. But why would God let this happen amongst us? Why would these people be allowed to be with us for a while and then abandon everything? And then why would God let them leave such a catastrophic mess in their wake? When people leave the faith, it's painful. I believe it's both to warn us and to remind us. God intends to warn us of the dangers of drifting from the gospel. Eternal life is at stake. The gospel is a non-negotiable. I believe that God also reminds us of the time in which we live. It's the last hour. It is an urgent time. So we know what these antichrists are. But how do we avoid becoming an antichrist? How do we avoid becoming one of these people, a defector? 
John takes the rest of the passage, verses 20 to 27, uh, to basically say one thing. Remain in what you received. Some, some translations actually use the word abide, carrying the idea of living in, making your home in the truth, the truth of the gospel. And he highlights three characteristics that, um, of those who avoid becoming antichrist. He says that they are confessors, that they are stayers, and that they are taught. So the first characteristic stems from the anointing we receive from the Holy Spirit. Being a confessor uh, comes from the anointing. This anointing refers to the Holy Spirit, which brings about knowledge of God. And this is in fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, where God promises to put His law within His people so that they will all know God. God puts His Spirit in His people so that they know Him and so that they confess the truth about His Son. Anyone who doesn't is a liar and doesn't know God. John is very clear. Understanding the identity of Jesus is fundamental to knowing God personally. One cannot say that they know God without knowing Him through the Son. Jesus is the Christ. And this means that He is the anointed King of God's kingdom. He is God's representative. And not only that, but John ties the Father and the Son so tightly that the Son, Jesus, must be God Himself. You can't separate Jesus from God without ripping God apart. So they must confess the truth about Jesus. Secondly, they don't only just confess, but they also stay. In verses 24 and 25, John uses the metaphor of staying or abiding, remaining in a place. See, we must allow the truth about the Son to stay in us, to make a home in us. This, this truth about Jesus the Christ needs to remain and make a home and live in us. We must stay rooted to what made us Christians, the gospel. In this way, as we stay in what we heard, we will stay in God himself. This means that we will remain in our relationship with him. Again, John makes it abundantly clear that without Jesus the Christ, we cannot know the Father we cannot know God. Eugene Peterson puts it beautifully. Stay with what you heard from the beginning, the original message. Let it sink into your life. If what you heard from the beginning lives deeply in you, you will live deeply in both Son and Father. If we stay, He has promised us eternal life in verse 25. We move from a state of death to a state of life. We enter into the life of God and find our existence dictated by His. We begin to live in the reality of the new age. Those who avoid becoming antichrist, they don't simply confess, they don't simply stay in the truth about Jesus the Christ. They are also taught. Verse 26 and 27 remind the church the reality that they have been taught already by the Spirit's anointing. Now, this is not a license to reject learning formally or studying the Scriptures. Um, as many people read this and go, I don't need anyone to teach me. I don't need to sit under any teaching. 
Um, this is speaking of being taught by the Spirit through the preaching, the reading, the meditation, the hearing, the consumption of the gospel. The Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us the truth about Jesus Christ. The Antichrist seem to claim a deeper insight into God. They seem to say that they know the new truth. They know some new truth, a way to know God better. But the truth is, those that stay and confess the truth about Jesus are those that are already know God. They truly know God. They have been given all the insight needed to inherit eternal life. They have been included into the life of God. They are found in the Father and the Son. But what have they been taught? What do we need to know in order to participate in the life of God into eternal life? It's the gospel. The good news that God the Creator has not left His creation to itself. That even though sin entered the world and we rebelled against Him, God has not abandoned it to decay or to judgment. But that the Father sent the Son to die for your sin, to die for my sin. He did this to forgive us and to restore His rule in the lives of His creation. Jesus then rose from the dead to show His power over death and sin. And he also did it to show his people what awaits them when history comes to a close, when the last hour is finished. He also gives his people his spirit so they can live a life under God's rule in this in-between period while they await resurrection. And all of this God accomplished through Jesus, his Christ, for you and for me. This is the truth we must hold on to. This is what the Spirit teaches us and convinces us and awakens us to. We need to live in this. We need to remain in it. We need to make our home in it. We need to abide in it. So if we want to avoid becoming defectors, if we want to avoid becoming antichrists, we need to confess the truth about Jesus. We need to stay in the truth about Jesus. And we need to remain in what we were taught about Jesus. As we finish, I want to give some practical advice on how to do this. Firstly, this isn't done in isolation. We are called to be a people, not simply individuals. John, throughout this passage, writes in the plural, addressing the whole church. He doesn't write to simply individuals. There are aspects at which you need to confess individually. But this is done together. We need each other for this. Secondly, we go about staying in the truth by immersing ourselves in the Scriptures and in prayer. This is a relationship and we need to treat it as such. And not just that. This is something we must train ourselves in. Uh, we host a Bible study in our home, and earlier this week we were asked a question about how to maintain our joy in Christ. How do we go about doing that? Uh, and after much discussion, the, um, the guy who actually asked the question summarized it beautifully. He said, so, what you're saying is, it's going to take work. 
Someone else added, he says, yes, you can't get fit by going to the gym only on Sunday. That's just ridiculous. In the same way, it takes work for us to remain in the truth. It's just not going to happen if we show up to church on Sunday. We must be engaged in Scripture. We must be engaged in our, in our church community. We must be encouraging each other daily. It takes work for us to remain in the truth. It must engage our hearts and our minds. And thirdly, we need to voice our doubts with each other in an attitude of humility. We need to seek answers, but also seek the Lord as we seek those answers. So many people voice their doubts so that they can just walk away from faith. And this is what, if you follow the stories of Josh Harris and Marty Sampson, these are the things that they've said. We have all these questions no one's answering them. I'm out. But we should voice them with each other so that we can better know our God. And at the end of the day, it's, it's about us growing in our relationship with Him. So we don't do this alone. We engage in Scripture and prayer and we voice our doubts with each other in order to grow. Finally, it is the last hour. If we don't want to become defectors and antichrist, we must remain in the truth about Jesus the Christ. We must abide in Him. It's only as we continue confessing the truth, staying in the truth, and being taught by the truth that we avoid becoming antichrists. It's simple, but it takes work, and our lives depend on it. Let's pray. Father God, we're sorry for the times where we, um, where we make movements to defection. Father God, I pray that um, as we contemplate these words of John, God, as we contemplate your word, I pray that you would um, awaken us to the reality of our, our work that we need to do in order to maintain this relationship. But Lord, in the grace of the gospel, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming for us, for dying for our sin, for rising, for giving us hope. Father God, I pray that that would sink deeply into us as we go from here. And Lord God, I pray that our whole lives will be dictated by that truth. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. And I pray that your spirit would be moving amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen.